Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. My name is Zachary Bader-Shamai. And I am still Eddie Meredith. And we are finally in the playoffs. The first week is in the books and oh my goodness, both of these games were just fantastic. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It is. I, uh, I think that's Hanukkah, but or is it Christmas? Or well, it, who knows? We're getting close to both. Well, it's, 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 it's now it's officially OUA playoff time because this was an amazing weekend. Two barn burners, one amazing comeback, one just beautiful slugfest. It, you know, both these games kind of represented what you see a lot of the time in Canadian football, either just a shootout or kind of a bit of a back and forth. The weather was a factor. Uh, oh my goodness, so great! Can't get wait to can't wait to dive into both these games. Uh, we're gonna start with the Guelph Waterloo matchup, the rematch from Week Nine. It lived up to the excitement of that double over overtime game, and then we will move into the Carlton uh, game afterwards. They were playing. I thought they were supposed to play McMaster, but the team that came on the field. Uh, you know, had a similar color scheme. It was but just a maroon team. It was just a maroon. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. thought at first it was the Gigi's with the garnet and gray, but yeah. it was some unidentified team from Hamilton. Um, I mean, without decals, <laughs> you just can't tell them no, the team. No, the decals make the team. Uh, so that'll be the order we jump into. We'll, of course, set up the Ontario semifinals um, that are going to be happening this upcoming week, and as well take a look at the um, – playoffs that are going to be beginning in the other conferences around the country and uh, talk a little bit about some teams, um, some of the other teams in the league. But yeah. And then we're going to get into our, well, if not our all-star predictions, we're going to talk about basically all the players you need to know about who are very much in contention. And we might, we might make some picks, but really we want to talk about just the, the broad group of players who are up for consideration in our estimation. Yeah. I mean, you have, a finite number of spots to give out and the OEO all-stars they obviously have to abide by that rule we don't have to abide by nothing here we can just throw out all-star awards left right and center so we're just gonna give mad props to any guys that have just shown out all year long yeah we're gonna get to like 15 OUA all-star <laughs> stuff <laughs> we're just gonna be fanboying but uh let's start off with the reviews and start off with Guelph and Waterloo so final score in this one the Guelph Griffins 45 Waterloo 34 and you round know, two round two and I mean, it's so hard to beat a team twice. I mean, in, in in football, because of the amount of tape you get on teams, and you know, when you look at how that Week Nine matchup went, you know, Guelph had a good game. They had a nice game offensively. It it seems weird to give them props defensively when Waterloo put up six hundred plus yards offensive, but that's what they do to people regularly. They won the game, but and, and they won the game because they contained, uh, contained Trey Ford more than they had the week before. Yeah, precisely. And, you know, so, but it's so hard to win against a team twice. And so to come out and just do it in this fashion where Guelph was just in control seemingly the whole game long. I mean, it seemed like until that little push Waterloo made in the fourth, most of the second half, I was sitting there being like, I, almost in disbelief because you had the sense of the energy being drained out of Waterloo. Um, but you know, just for Guelph's purposes, you know, coming out and getting the lead from the jump was massive. Yeah, the offense really clicked early. And, I mean, the running – so the the big stat line on the day would have been J.P.C. Mankindas, who had – what do you have, over 200 yards rushing, 250? Yeah, 256, 29 attempts, uh, a long of 52, three touchdowns, should have been a fourth – but for a brutal uh, holding penalty, I mean, it's part of the game, but, you know, it, it whatever. Sure, uh, but, but, I mean, the running attack worked oof. immediately. And in the weeks before, or, well, the weeks before, last week, mm. when they played for the first time, the running game, I mean, it, it, was a, it was effective, but it didn't look quite like this. And then you had 
Theo playing maybe his best game yet. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, I, he definitely was was very effective and at times, like, highly efficient. I mean, he had, you know, like, we're going to talk about the game in total, but that one-minute drive before mm. the before the half, Theo was 3-for-3 three three for, like, the entire length of the field. Mm-hmm. And then, they you know, they punched it in with uh, JPC McKinda. But, you know, just absolutely his best game and, and – the receivers on Guelph, they played a great game. Oh, a fantastic job by the receivers. You know, the usual suspects, Cade Bellick getting five catches, 93 yards and a touchdown. Kean Schaefer-Baker, six catches, 84 yards. And uh, Tommy Brashani, uh, three catches, 38 yards, one touchdown. I only recently found this out because, like, I don't know – you know, I know a fair bit about this roster from the guys that I played with and whatever. I don't know much about Brashani. Dude's a vegan. Shout out to Vegan Nation. We were repping at Guelph. Big ups to old uh, Tommy Brashani for that one. But, um, yeah, no, a fantastic game by Theo. The, you know, his stats on the game were 16 for 23 for 240 yards, two TDs and one pick. Also contributing on the ground a little bit with 26 yards and one touchdown, albeit that was, I believe, just the one play. A beautiful scramble. Uh, was that, I think, in the second quarter. Uh, I think it was in the second quarter he had that rushing touchdown. But, you know, either way, I mean – it's, it's, he eats meats. He eats meat. He that's, eats. that's why I like him. Yeah, I'm, I'm a meat guy. So we have fire and ice here on the uh, behind the mics. But um, you know, for for Waterloo, offensively, it, it's weird. You know, we we look at this game for Trey Ford, and it, like we mentioned, being up being up for Guelph was massive because it seemed defensively that allowed them to sort of try and contain Trey. You didn't have to do anything exotic to try and get after him. I mean, they definitely did get pressure on him at times, but they were all just almost sit back and just keep everything underneath. You know, it's, it's not rare. It's not uncommon to see um, Waterloo hit on those big hitters. And they had a couple yeah. late in the first or second when they, uh, you know, yeah, in, in the first, the, the 55 or so yard Ternowski touchdown was on a deep out and he caught mm-hmm. that and turned up field, having beat the defensive back to the corner there or to the, to the sideline. Right. And that was a great play, but you look at his stat line, that, was, that wasn't the end of his production on the day, but that was the end of his sort of major impactful production. Yeah, you know, to play the game that, you know, you, you do quite often, and I know you put the caveat next to it, you take away that 55. Hate the game. <laughs> hate the player. Hate, hate everything hate it about all. it. But, but we're going to do it. You, you know, take away that 55-yard touchdown. And it's a very... It's the quietest game he's had all year. No doubt. Or you know? it would be the second quietest... Um, to the Western. N- or no. Oh, no, no Western, no. he actually was... Yeah, Western right. was okay. It was the Carlton game where right, he was double-covered yeah, heavily yeah. the entire game. Yeah. And so credit to Guelph. I mean, they, they give the respect to these receivers... And don't let them beat them over the top. And there you go. That's that's how you sort of slow down that offense. Make that offense be efficient. And to their credit, that offense was efficient, but it wasn't quite efficient enough to overcome some of the the ghastly mistakes that that were made by Waterloo on the day, both on special teams and on defense, and some costly ones on offense too. Yeah, and it's it's making them efficient, but making them solely efficient because when they can. You know when Trey Ford has those days where when they can be efficient and dynamic. Yeah, you know they they, they and they're limited. always going to be dynamic. The thing is, it's, it's <laughs> about the margins, right? It's about that one time where I forget who it was, but a Guelph defensive back, the whole entire Guelph defense was running trying to catch Trey, who was scrambling. Trey tries to reverse field and gets tackled. It, you know that tackle instead of a 
50-yard gain that would have happened if Trey had managed to get around reverse field and get to the other side. Mm -hmm. It was instead a 10-yard loss. Yeah. It plays like that. It's just these one or two plays here and there that have um, these enormous effects, and you, you will never know, right? Trey had a great day on the on the ground, but he could have had an even better day on the ground if sure. not for just a couple of plays here and there. So. You know, you have to tip your cap to every Guelph defender because they came to play. Yeah, and, you know, we, we I think we talked about this, if not last week. We've talked about this at some point with, you know, when you're dealing with a team that's as dynamic as Waterloo is that if you can take the approach of let's just not let this guy beat us. I think we talked about that with Ternowski. If you can lock him down and say they have all these other weapons, let's just don't let Ternowski beat us. And, yeah, Ford put up on the ground 150 yards, two touchdowns. Dion Pellerin. You know, we talked about how he was just getting better and better yeah. week after week. I mean, he balled out in this game with 145 himself. He really did. You he know, was he was brilliant all day. Yeah, and you know, you don't see many teams put up running games like that against Guelph. No, but maybe that was sort of the kryptonite in all this, where it's like you want to pound us on the ground, go ahead, but we're not going to let you just beat us over the top. You know, yeah, hitting hitting Lamb, hitting Turnowski. That's partly, Nikita. definitely the attention that's being given to uh, to Lamb and Turnowski in particular. I mean, uh, uh, Katita. Uh, how do I say it? Katia. I've N lost the rhythm on it now Nik too. Nikita. It's from it's from watching some. Niketia. Niketia. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll we'll go with that. Niketia. Yeah. <laughs> We're going with that. And you know, he he had a there was a great scramble play where Trey pulled the ball on what was an RPO or a play action pass, depending on you know the intent of the run. Looked like an RPO to me. And with Alan Seaman Kinda in his face, Trey threw a beautiful, you know, beautiful ball mm. that was, um, you know, like an inch too far for uh, for Richmond uh, Nketiah to catch. So, you know, that was just one of those plays where, yeah, like, they're not going to be double covering. Ah, double co Can't talk today. The words. They will not be double covering yeah. everyone on Waterloo. They will be double covering those two receivers as best they can. Mm -hmm. And that does open up stuff for you know, some of those other receivers and Deion Pellerin in the run game. But this offensive line was playing very, very well. We've talked about Guelph's offensive line all year long. We knew they were going to be a powerhouse offensive line. They were. Yeah. Spoiler alert. They killed it in this game. Oh, yeah. But the Waterloo offensive line, they're not they're not on that level, but they're close. Mm. Like, when you talk about the best offensive lines in the conference. And we will. And we will. Uh, Waterloo has to be in the discussion. I mean, they're, they're probably – Number three, I would say it probably goes like Guelph Western Waterloo, if I'm if I'm a betting man right now. So you know, not to take anything away from the very effective Laurier offensive line, but the way they ran the ball on Guelph today was impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of offensive lines and Guelphs in particular, and when I say today, I mean during that game. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and speaking of uh, Guelph's offensive line, there was one play which, you know, made me reminisce quite a bit. Where they it was like a, an inside zone fake to the right, and uh, Coulter, who's at right guard for them, did a quick little three sixty. Coulter Woodmansy, yeah, Coulter Woodmansy did a nice little pirouette three sixty, and then was leading a reverse going the other way, and he just, I don't know if it was a, a you know an, a Sam a half whomever it was, someone much smaller than Coulter, and just put him right in the dirt. And Eddie, this reminded me a little throwback to almost ten years ago. You and me playing for Metro Toronto Wildcats oh, man. against Brampton, strolling down memory lane in a quarter in, in a quarterfinal football game as well. And Mr. Eddie Meredith pancaked former OUA All Star 
Um, and teammate, Ricky Osakusa. Yeah. Uh, anyway, wow. so. What a stroll down memory lane. <laughs> Coulter, a young Eddie Meredith. You're hearing it right here. He's playing really, really well. That, that play in uh, junior junior OVFL, folks. I don't know if I can <laughs> take too much credit on that one. But, yeah, Coulter Woodmansey played a great game, uh, you know, to go with that yeah. higher offensive line. And he's a guy, you know, who's impressed us all year long. Mm. So, you know, like I said, on that play, it was a Sam or a half who took a beating. But talking about DBs taking a beating. That oh, what a kind of thank you. <laughs> kind of one of the major storylines of this game for Waterloo. I mean, the obvious misstep was on the Cade Bellick Swaggy B touchdown where what the one where he was 30 yards open? Man, where, where no exaggeration, there wasn't a single Waterloo defender within 30 yards. You yo, think that might have been a mistake? Straight up, that's the hardest catch in football to make. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> so much pressure. That's just I was oh. watching it. It felt like it felt like a minute till that ball came down oh, and landed softly. Could you imagine if he dropped it? <laughs> oh god. Oh, uh, you have to just walk off the field and quit. It's just so <laughs> embarrassing. It's so and you, you can't play football anymore, man. Like, do you have join any, the athletes? Do you have any sense of what happened on that? Like, I have no idea. Like, I was watching from the end zone cut on yeah. huddle, and I, I like, wh- what are you to make of this? Like. The safety decided he would follow, was it Keon Schaefer-Baker yeah, who look, was cutting across the screen on sort of a crossing route? It, uh, I, I, yeah, it's... There's, there, uh, there, it was maybe baffling. They, maybe they just did not count him. I don't know what the problem was. It was baffling, and we've seen a lot of improvement with the secondary. I mean, like, the first few games of the year, you would not be surprised with the performance of Waterloo Secondary today if you were solely basing... Yeah. Your assessment of their secondary on the first few games of the year. You might even say this was a good performance for them. But in the context of how they've been over the last, say, four weeks, they've been building towards better and better and better, and they fell off a bit of a cliff today. Mm. And it was mostly just a few mistakes, that being the worst of them. But, I mean, they can't, they could not cover the Guelph guys. Terrell Ford, he can cover anyone. He's fantastic. Deshaun Jupiter-Dean? Very promising first-year kid. Absolutely will be in the discussion as, as a shutdown, sort of half corner for years to come. But I, I, you have to give a lot of credit to the, the veteran defensive guys on Waterloo in their secondary who have seen this, this amazing transformation of a program and have, have been you know a part of it since the really dark days. But they cannot cover great receivers. Yeah. And that's too bad. But, hey, you can't have it all. I, you have a dynamic offense. You're going to have a weak defense. Waterloo is two years removed from being a joke. They are no yeah. joke anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, this – we kind of mentioned last week, just being in – with when you take in the sort of totality of what this program has been through, like, mm. they could have gotten – Guelph could have gone out there today or <laughs> gone out there on Saturday and won 100 to nothing. I mean, that would have been – an obviously catastrophe. I don't but, know if I believe that could have happened. <laughs> Hypothetically. But it, just the them being back with the program on the rise the way it is, like that's 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 the most important thing here. I mean, obviously if you're Waterloo, you had you have such a special team and a lot of those pieces aren't necessarily going anywhere, so you're gonna have you you have a bright future. And that's really what it's about because they come from literally the depths, the lowest of the low in OUA football. And, you know, they're at a very, very good point now moving forward. And we'll talk about that a little more as we uh, move forward. But, you know, shifting from a bit of a suspect day defensively for Waterloo, we've already touched on some of the things Guelph did defensively. But 
let's let's dig a little deeper now into that because you know once again this was one of the better jobs you know aside from you mentioned carlton being able to limit turnowski and just completely what western was able to do to limit um carlton entirely but this guelph defense had a fantastic day and, and the leader as he normally is and i i think he's and if not just, I think he's the can they, all the U Sports leader in tackles of not just OUA. I believe he's up there. I'll have to double check. But Luke Coral, man, he's incredible. Holy moly, he is he's a phenomenal linebacker. Like he is so fast. Yeah, seriously. And and a lot of a lot of Guelph's attempt to limit the passing game for Waterloo is to have Coral out of the box and sort of have him to the weak side because he's playing weak side linebacker, taking away short passing stuff and 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 being a sort of a wall guy very quickly out there. And you would think that might stop him from getting super involved in stopping the run. <laughs> no. No, not no, even it does cool. not. Yeah. No, he had a great day, better than the stats would tell you, and the stats would tell you at 10.5 tackles, half of that being for, or one half uh, tackle for a loss and a pass breakup. Mm-hmm. His impact is is greater than that, and that's substantial. Well, I mean, as a leader alone, that's going to you know be massive for this team because he is one of the emotional leaders, one of the fifth-year vets on this team. Um, you know, but two guys I, I just need to give a huge shout out to on this team, uh, I, to a DB's Brandon Murphy and Graham Brody. Now we've mentioned Murphy's name a few times cause he lays the wood and today I'm doing it again, but Saturday's game was no exception. Like this, he's not a big dude, but when he comes downhill, he lays the boom. And I guess Brody's been, you know, getting some tips from him. Cause there's a few times once on a sack, uh, where Ford was escaping pressure and it looked like it was going to be one of those plays where he just turns nothing into something. Brody just got him dead to rights. I mean, if that, like that was just something I felt maybe, maybe with Waterloo being on the rise, there was a bit of that confidence. Maybe Guelph had being in a playoff game and just, you know, having the confidence to just know, just play your game. Because even talk about Trey Ford. Yeah, it's he, the maturity of these programs, yeah. right? I mean, like, you look at these two rosters, and Guelph is deeper than Waterloo, for sure. Waterloo's top-end talent is insane. Mm-hmm. But a mature roster is more able, and, and a team that's been there before in the playoffs. Sure. These players have been there, not maybe all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah. They know what they're doing in these high-pressure games. They've been here. They're comfortable here. They just play their best football. There's no hang-ups. There are no nervous mistakes. No, yeah, I mean, a number of these guys have, have their own, uh, you know, were on the Yates Cup uh, team a few years ago. Um, but, and, and even talking about Trey Ford, there was even times where it just kind of looked like he short-armed a few passes or just just balls that he normally connects with, he hits. So I don't know if that plays to the nerves. Like, obviously, it wasn't it wasn't a beautiful sunny day. You know, the weather was a factor at times. Um but, you know, I think I'm more willing to just – I'm more at least wanting to give credit to Guelph having that experience and that leadership of having been there. And, you know, Todd Galloway was the OC when they won that uh It's that absolutely a factor. There's no question. No, it's – it's yeah, a massive uh, – yeah, it's a massive advantage. Um, and, and, I, and nervous yeah. nervous errors, and I'm not saying there were a ton of them, but there were some and they were notable. I mean, I guess it was uh, their normal punter, Caleb Gerard, who dropped a punt – Mm. Uh, early, early, uh, I think it was. It was after it was after a two and out, immediately after Guelph had scored. It yeah. was very early in the game, and he dropped a punt that hit him perfectly in the hands. Sorry, he dropped a um, a long snap. He is the punter, so he dropped a long snap that hit him perfectly in the hands, 
and that gave Guelph a beautiful field position. I think they started at maybe Waterloo's 10 yeah, and punched it in in short order. And that, that's the kind of mistake that, all right, you're down you're down 7 nothing, or you're down whatever it was at that point, 10 nothing. Immediately now you're down by more. In fact, no, it was 3 nothing because it was after the uh, the field goal, I believe. The Guelph, the Guelph field goal to start the game. Yeah, it's pretty early on. So one of those mistakes that you just don't know because Waterloo can absolutely drive the field. Mm-hmm. And they can get a quick stop, and they got some two and outs. It wasn't as though their defense was bad in all facets all day. That's just one of those plays that, you know, you do not know how a game could have could have changed if they mm-hmm. had made that play. And it's, it's not a – those are <laughs> – for a play that should almost always be a rare occurrence when you see it happen, when we're talking about this Waterloo special teams unit, that hasn't been, unfortunately, if you're a Warrior fan, a, a rare occurrence. No, we've seen we've seen at least one other dropped long snap this year I remember seeing, and it was at least there was something to it where it was a couple feet offline. The punter moved to the right direction, so it would have hit him in the hands, or did hit him in the hands, rather, mm. uh, but he still dropped it, strangely. But then we've seen terrible long snaps all year. You've seen dribblers. You've seen yeah. just, I mean, maybe maybe four, three or four on the year, something like that. Yeah. But more than any other person, you know, maybe any other long snapper would have had one error on the year. So yeah. I mean, so d- moving forward, definitely something that needs to be cleaned up for this Waterloo team. But but sticking with special teams plays, there was a moment late in the game on a Guelph kickoff. Or what, no, sorry. It was, it was a Guelph punt where it was. It took a nice Griffin bounce, and I'm forgetting who it was for Waterloo that was returning, but they they touched. It was a live ball, and then upon recovering it, was already being swarmed by Griffin defenders. And you know, going back to Luke Coral, I believe it was him who punched the ball out, and it ended up rolling out the side in the end zone. Now it was called a rouge. And Waterloo maintained the ball. And once again, the grand sco- scheme of things didn't play a factor because Guelph won. But I they found did, didn't they? They did, mm-hmm. yes. Um, but it was a very conf- I found it a very odd play. I didn't really get it where the Waterloo player had fielded it outside the end zone and the ball ended up getting fumbled into the end zone out of play. I didn't. Seems like it should have been a safety. I, th- I thought so too. I mean, it didn't seem like Guelph was making a stink about it when it happened. And I. I mean, the refs, you know, conferenced about it. Ho- I assume they got the play the play right. But, you know, if anyone wants to reach out to us on, on Twitter, at the 55, explain that one to me. I don't know. I, I, I played this game for a number of years. I don't necessarily know all the rules. Kind of caught me for a loop. Sorry, remind me. Did they give them? They gave him the rouge. Yeah, it was just. But he was out of the end zone. Yeah. So then really, you would think, like, wouldn't this sort of the idea be that, okay, it's a fumble. If it's fumbled backwards, then. You know, it can be recovered backwards, but mm-hmm. there was no clear recovery. No, I guess it a did wa- go out of the end. Zone. Yeah, I, I imagine probably Waterloo was last touch out of bounds. But anyway, I mean, not something to, to overly, you know. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm no rules expert. Yeah, except uh, when it comes to holding. <laughs> <laughs> One thing you may be an expert on, Eddie. I know I'm putting you on the spot because we didn't talk about it earlier. But there was there was a moment where late in the game, uh, Uriel Kalinga, a uh, Sam linebacker for Guelph, got a big sack. Or maybe it was a tackle for loss. It was it was either a big sack on like a second and whatever, or a third and short that essentially Waterloo was going for. As, you know, just shut them down offensively late in the game when they needed points. And you know, er, Kalinga did the the army roll and like the the, the fake machine gun. Yes, I am an expert on celebrations. Well, continue. N- not per se on the celebration, but on 
uh, you are an expert on the, the head coach for Waterloo, because I believe he may have coached you before, and ah. Bertoya got irate at the ref. So I just kind of quickly put me in the shoes of that ref there with okay, so Bertoya I'm gonna, breathing uh, down their necks. Well, Coach Bert is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful guy, and, and usually a very calm coach on the sideline. He probably would be protesting the fact that Waterloo got called for a taunting call that was very uh, costly on a Guelph deep out earlier in the third quarter. Mm. And that was a 15-yard penalty that did eventually set up a Guelph touchdown. It would it didn't extend a drive. It would have been second and 10 and instead it was first and 10, 15 yards closer. Um, but that was a semi-marginal taunting call. Yeah. Where sort of, you know, the DB... Did the old cross, like, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you call that, freaking DBs and your crazy sellies. I'm not an expert on DB sellies, okay? <laughs> Every, everybody else. Anyways, um, sort of did the, you know, no-fly zone cross sign, out of mm. bounds. Big emotional play, 15-yard penalty. And then that would be sort of considered an excessive sack celebration. I think if a celebration has anything um, suggestive of violence – it's also supposed to be a taunting oh, call. Okay. So pretending to shoot a gun is, you know, therefore right, okay. violence. It's also, you know, like they don't want you to do the old slide your finger across the throat for yeah, slitting the yeah, throat, yeah. or they don't, you know. No, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't think Bertoy was in the wrong in the moment. He's probably correct because yeah. it was a pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. big celebration. You're asking what it's like to have Bert <laughs> to get reamed out know. by that man. Bert, Bert's never, Bert never really uh, reamed <laughs> me out. Bert, Bert's a, Bert's a calm coach. He's. Uh, you know, it was a bit of a fire and ice situation at Western with with G Marsh and Bird. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's a, it was all about balance. And and no, I I do not know what it's like. No, well, it was probably funny because I've just never seen Bird angry like that before. Yeah, I mean, well, given what it looked like, I'm gonna go ahead and say you were probably lucky to have avoided the, that oh. out, outburst because it didn't look pretty. I almost felt bad for the stripes. Um, but what just what an amazing game. Uh, you know, start to finish, you know, Guelph was leading, but it, like I said, even even late because you had that. You had that Simonkinda fumble yeah. late in the game. Very quick, very quick Waterloo touchdown off that. They threw a touchdown on the next play. And, you know, even, you know, there was a few moments, I'd say, leading up to that where I was feeling fairly confident this was going to be a Guelph win. All of a sudden that happened, and we just had a ball game all over again. So, you know, it was just 48 minutes of just tension. I mean, this is just – it was just amazing. I could I could rewatch this game over and over again. Um but hopefully we had, hopefully the rest of the playoffs will prove to be just as entertaining as this. And, you know, I didn't find a, a nice segue to uh, sneak this in, so I'm just going to have to jam it in at this point. But uh, JP, he's Simon Kinda a big deal, as is his brother Elaine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Woo! That's pretty good. That's pretty bad. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know anything else we want to address on this one, I guess. Do you have anything left? Uh... You know, I, I wanted to just re-shout out the Guelph offensive line. That was a really, really great performance. Mm-hmm. Eric Starkzala blocked kids out of the frame. I mean, it was great all across the board. Colin Jerome was hitting people hard. Coulter Woodman's had a great game. Ben Petrie, Andy McFalls, the whole unit. So, mm-hmm. and Lucas Brennan, who's you know functionally an offensive lineman because he's he's a fullback and he hits people hard. So. Oh yeah, and got himself another catch today. Like that was huge. Yeah, and and just for um, you know. Your your interest, I, JP Simonkina. Obviously, this was an incredible game. He didn't do this in the regular season at all. No, he didn't do it once. So in terms of rookie of the year voting or all star voting, well, he he wouldn't be in all star voting contention. But just 
don't you know one of the things you have to remember with the playoffs especially the you know the quarterfinals and the semifinals because the all-star team is usually announced just before the AIDS cup finals mm. which is you know a couple weeks away the playoffs do not factor into that so uh sure. keep that in mind when we're talking about players i mean not many players had performances that were really all that out of the ordinary for their standards outside of uh, obviously jp seven yeah. yeah. so just just something to keep in mind as we move forward and uh yeah uh well very well put and uh yeah, so, you know, Guelph obviously moving on will be traveling to Ottawa for a rematch from, I think, week two, the two-point, yeah, I believe two-point loss to the GGs they suffered. We'll get into that a little bit more. And for uh, Waterloo, well, they can figure out how to uh, get a little bit further next week. You know, I guess I guess what, I guess the last thing I'll say with Trey Ford and this Waterloo team is there's, you know, you see this all the time. I guess in, in, in NFL, CFL, where you have like a star young quarterback and, you know, your first question is like, well, can you win, you know, do you win on the road? Do you win at home? Can you come back in a game? Can you deal with adversity? Like all these sort of check marks. And, you know, it seems like Ford has checked every possible box imaginable. And now it's, okay, well, let's see you win playoff games. He's checked all the boxes you would hope for him to have checked at this point. Yeah, yeah. of course, and- winning playoff games is the next step for him. Yeah, I have no doubt he's going to win a lot of playoff games. He is. Have we ever seen a quarterback do this in his second year? I mean, Will Finch had a you know an OUA MVP year in his second year. Statistically, not like this. Well, with the running as well, it was. Well, it wasn't quite as good with the running, but it was still pretty in- incredible. I mean, it it would be similar, mm. but I mean, I think you would still say Western. We had a better team then overall. Than, oh, no doubt than this Waterloo team. Tyler Ternowski, I think, is the best non-quarterback. Like, if you were going to do an – every time there's an MVP race, it's a quarterback. it should go to a quarterback yeah. because without that quarterback, the team would falter and, and die. Without Ternowski, I don't know what this Waterloo team would look like. I assume it would still be very good. But Tyler Ternowski, I think, is the best skill player in the country, the best non-quarterback offensive player in the country. I don't think it's actually particularly close. I, th- I think he, he's definitely that player. But – uh, between Chris Merchant and Trey Ford, uh, the MVP race for this conference will be very interesting. So uh, we'll get into more of that later. But just um, you know, they have Turnowski back next year. Yeah, and that Lamb, they do. And, and Trey Ford. They have some weapons, and so, they're not going anywhere. So uh, you know, you got to be very, very impressed with what Waterloo's done. Guelph may have won the battle this year, but the war will still go on, and Waterloo will be in those those battles. But let's move on to the second and last. Game of this weekend, Mac and Carlton. So Carlton won this game. Uh, with the, the final score was thirty to twenty-five in their favor, and for a lot of the game, it looked like it would be uh, a more lopsided victory for them. Yeah, it was really a tale of two halves for McMaster, and and within that, it was, you know, not the entire second half that they killed it in, but but specifically a few drives that brought them extremely close to tying this game out of nowhere. Yeah. And and real quick to touch on the sort of joke we were making in our intro, um, the McMaster players taking the decals off the helmets, that was in, I don't know whether you'd say in protest or in solidarity, one or the other with obviously the firing of Greg Knox and them being opposed to, because that was a move by the yeah, school. the players were universally opposed to the way the administration treated yeah. Greg Knox and his subsequent dismissal several weeks later. Yeah. Uh, right before their playoff game in Ottawa against Carleton. And they have every right to be incredibly upset by it, you know, whether or not you agree with 
the decision or not, which mm. I don't really know how you could. I mean, I, I guess if you if you think the university did a good job here, it's just it'll, it'll forever be hard to say yeah. un, un, unless we actually knew. How more do I details. articulate this? It's, it was even if the university was right in what they did, it was very poorly managed. Yeah. So. You gotta ha- give your hats, uh, tip your hats rather to these. You give your hats, give them your friggin' hats, you cheapos. As long as they don't say McMaster on them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Maroon, no decal, no logo. Some kind hats. of bird, maybe. Give them your hats. Yeah. Uh, you gotta tip your hats to the Mac players because they played incredibly hard. They did not yeah. play their best game defensively, but they played incredibly hard with a ton of passion, and that's what you'd expect, right? It's Nothing like giving someone an enemy in order to make them rally. And in, in the case of Mac, it was their own administration. It's it's funny how that can happen. And you mentioned it is the tale of two halves for Mac. But when they came, and, and that, that, is, that is markedly true, but coming out the gate, their game plan looked like it was just spot on because it was definitely, weather was definitely looking to be a factor in this game. And yeah. they just came out, you know, beating Jordan Lyons. And they were moving the ball downfield. They led to the opening field goal for them and chewed up like seven, six or seven minutes from the yeah. clock. And it's just like, if you can do this all game long, like that's money. It was a tale of two halves outside of the very first drive of yeah. the game by McMaster, <laughs> which was a beautiful one. You were seeing things they hadn't run all year, crack tosses, getting to the outside. Yeah. That was very effective for them. It was it was just a, it was a masterful drive all the way around. And uh, credit to, uh, to Duick, who coming back off of an injury in the last game, Played very, very well, I thought, for the most part. I mean, obviously there were there were some moments in the middle of the game where it was uh, – or in the in the first half after that first drive where you're missing passes. But mm-hmm. Carlton has a good defensive unit, and they were playing well. They were getting a lot of pressure. Got to give credit to Carlton there. No, definitely. I mean, Max defense overall probably – from what we've seen this season, I'll give them the advantage over Carlton, but Carlton's got playmakers across the board yeah. themselves. No slouches there either. I, but, I mean, again, like it – you know – McMaster has a great defensive backcourt. Carlton is a strong unit everywhere. That's I mean, true. They've got arguably the best defensive lineman in the conference, and arguably, and I think most people would say that is a easy argument to make, Kenny Onyeka being the player in question, has been dominant. And then you talk about guys like Frederick Robitaille and Tevin Bowen. Who yeah. They might go unrecognized on OUA All-Star ballots. They might not. Uh, but they are you know ultimately very effective players and very disruptive in the run game. And then they have two outstanding linebackers in Jack Kasser and uh, Josh Walsh. So, I mean, got to give them a lot of credit. They played a good game defensively. Oh, no doubt. And and, quickly touching on Walsh there, I saw him go down late in the game. I didn't – I don't know if he came back in. Hopefully, obviously, that's a massive uh, loss if if he's not going to be there for their uh, semifinal game with Western. Quietly, just like an outstanding player. Oh, yeah. No no doubt. I mean, I feel like just – with the production that they get from Casser, it's kind of, kind of like with with we talk about with Guelph. You know, Job had a great game for them in the first matchup with Waterloo, and it's like, oh, it might have caught people off guard because normally you just see Luke Coral's name always at the top for them, but you know sometimes you get overshadowed by your own teammate. But mentioning Onyeka's name, and you know he really set the tone for this team early, as he often does. Two sacks on the day, both of them coming. Uh, I think fairly early in the first quarter, but in the first quarter, nonetheless, you know, a fifth-year guy there, um, been in these playoff games, has the experience, and just coming out with that swagger, knowing the type of effect that's going to have for his defense, and just really just leading the way for them. 
Um, but off- yeah, he's yeah. a superstar, and it's a young offensive line, right? I mean, it's a, one True, of those yeah. things. Like we 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 hammered it earlier in the season. Mac is a very young team. It's a second year quarterback throwing, not entirely, but their best receiver is a second year receiver. So they have second year receivers and young players. They have an offensive line that is. I mean, they have a third-year right guard. They have a second-year right tackle. They have a second-year center. They have a first or second-year left guard, depending on who's in. Uh, and they have a D tackle they converted to offensive line this year, a left tackle. So it is a young offense. Mm-hmm. Jordan Lyons, obviously, in uh, he's in fourth, fourth year. Fourth year, yeah. But overall, it's a very young team. Justice Allen's another impact player for them. Had a quiet day on the day, but an impact player all the same, second-year guy. So – you know, we don't expect them to necessarily match up well against a veteran-laden, experienced True. defense like what yeah. Carlton has, and we shouldn't really be surprised. No. Kind of interesting. Jack Casser has been hyperproductive all year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if the stat sheet is <clears throat> correct. It says he has one and a half tackles on the day. Yeah, I, I, I that's all very baffling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be. I got nothing to say on that. I don't really. I'm. Oh, this is interesting. It's just surprising. I, I. It was such a nice, you know. The problem is Walsh and Casser look so damn similar because they, one's forty five, one's forty six. Oh, they're both about the same height. They both play in the middle. They both make plays. They they run similarly. I mean, it's very difficult to tell them apart. So it's possible there's some misattribution from either us or from the uh, the. Whoever was doing the stats on this game, maybe, maybe it's a situation similar to do another callback to Metro Trial Wildcat days when a, a certain linebacker we played with's father also kept the stats and he managed to uh, <laughs> blow away some tackle records. And uh, it's an audience of one you're talking to, and he's sitting across the table from you. So oh, we'll leave it in though. That that is that is true. Uh, there there was there was some aspersions cast on the the providence of. Uh, <laughs> Connor Pretty's oh, stats. Gonna, yeah, I guess I was being pretty blatant there too. Well, I mean, if if he heard it, he'd know. So <laughs> I mean, what else are you gonna say? I mean, oh. No, I mean, I, I, I not to get into it, not to not to spend too much time on the junior OVFL days. Maybe he only had 15 tackles a game, but he got credit for 20. Yeah, you know, who, who cares? Oh, he was incredible. He played great back then. Yeah, uh, he ended up playing a little bit of free safety for York. Yeah, for a few years. So, but to get back on track, um. Talk, let's move over to let's move over to Carlton's offense, and you. Know, this was a very, this is this the production that they had and the way they moved the ball was a very Carlton day. I felt it just comes in spurts. It you know you had Nathan Carter real consistent on the ground for them, who's been a stud all year long, and then this is the, was this the best day of his year? Probably right. I mean, he had one hundred and seventy-two yards on the ground, three touchdowns. Yeah. Now all those touchdowns were set up with deep bombs from Aruda to just, you know, name the receivers. Aloki had a big one. Manchelenko, Soares. I think Walker had a, a one a pretty nice catch. But, you know, just putting them in good position to be able to strike in the red zone. And that just seems like something we've seen all year long. I don't know if they keep a stat for this in terms of passing plays over X amount of yards. But, you know, Western's probably up there. I'm just assuming, like, they must be. They probably get a, quite a few of those. Yeah, they take a lot of deep shots. Carlton has got to be in that mix because they just do so, – I mean, they have so many weapons. Their um, vertical passing is outstanding. And it it sort of comes a little bit on the heels of what I thought was a weaker day for a very good McMaster defensive back group. Yeah. You know, one of the things that happens when you take a head coach away, a defensive – head coach away from a team true true is you're just gonna have less man hours in terms of 
drawing up game plans and, and sort of quizzing the DC on how are we adjusting to this formation. It's You can't take a guy like that away from a team and expect everything to be tip-top and – I'm uh, not, you know, not going to call out any particular guys, but there are some outstanding defensive backs on this team who got burned, yeah. and they got burned like bad. I mean, Phil Loki had the touchdown on what was just sort of, uh, you know, a simple streak uh, route from, uh, I want to say it was to the, towards the boundary, but the DB just sort of bit. He thought maybe a deep out was coming. Was that er- the early one? That was early. Did he? I don't. Did he? I don't know if he, did he score. He got taken down. Taken down before though. He did get taken down before, but that was seventy yards. That was or sixty yeah, yards. Yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it was. So there was that, and then there was. I think I'm not sure if it was a score on the next one, but uh, Carlton had maybe three or four to the field and brought someone on sort of a deep. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a post or maybe a little more shallow of a post, kind of a cr- deep crossing route, and uh, just no one was home. And yeah. it was it was a really. I mean wild mistakes mm-hmm. not something you see from them very often they also didn't do a very good job of adjusting the formations where you had yeah three or more receivers because i mean they'd, they'd play one defensive back high and then two deep uh sorry one yeah one tight to the line of scrimmage and two high to you know in deep sort of thirds coverage or whatever they were doing and that's just such easy money for receiver screens like yeah carlton ran a ton of receiver screens mac did too to their credit when defenses give you that, you have to take it because that's an extension of the run game, and it's got massive upside. Yeah. But it just seemed like it was too easy to get there. I mean, I don't know why you're starting DBs at some of the depth that Mac was. So I really question their defensive game plan to some degree because you know that Carlton can run the ball, so you're going to want to commit to the run. But I just don't get what they were doing mm. with their defensive backs. But as you mentioned, how much does Knox not be in there and not having been around the team? We, It's, you know. Yeah. And that's, that and that and you know that's I, one of the unfortunate things. You you almost I almost I don't know if I've ever in my life said that Knox defense. Those are errors that I'm seeing. Like, yeah. I can discern an error in a Knox <laughs> defense. Something is very wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying you know I'm not saying that it's necessarily a failure of any one person. I'm not saying I don't know I don't know what the problem is. I don't know why that happened. Mm-hmm. But it's not a defensive back group. I would expect to make those errors and you know. I, I was just a little disappointed. I'm not necessarily saying they would have won if not for those things. You never know how these things would go. But the MAC offense turned it on in the second half. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the stories for Carlton as a team, and this is one of the things that, has, that I think helped MAC quite a bit in the second half, one of the things that has hindered Carlton all year long has been penalties. And through the first half of this game, they were looking good. Like, I don't know the specific numbers. The OUA box score doesn't break down penalties per quarter, at least – I haven't discovered that magic button yet to see that, but it was fairly good. And overall in the day, only 11 penalties, which I think is probably under their yearly total on a game to game basis, which funny. It, it is. And that's my, that's still high. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I'm going to, I'm willing to throw out to, or to gamble saying that five or six of those came like all in the span of a very short period, late third quarter. And just when it, it was just Mac was playing with the offense was moving and this was just Carlton fueling the fire for them. And it just it was so frustrating because it had such a good game up to that point. And on all, all, all on all facets of the game, too, special teams was going really well for Carlton as well. You know, to Max credit, there was times where – or I shouldn't say to Max credit per se, but, you know, not to take away from their offense too, too much. There was times where they were just starting, like, literally in the shadow of their own goalpost. And they might have got some yardage, but they're still going to have to punt away. 
with Carlton getting good field position. So big ups to you know the the punting unit for Carlton putting Mac in some very deep holes. But yes, second half for for Mac. The offense started going. Yeah, and it was it was a penalty that brought Mac to uh, Carlton's one yard line, their first score of the second half, bringing them from being down thirty to five, which is a very deep and dark hole. And it, again, it's worth mentioning again, if you're down thirty to five, having faced all the adversity that you've faced in a year that is essentially, I mean, it's so compromised by what the administration yeah. has done to this team. I could understand if they just quit. I could really sincerely, and you'd never want to say it. You never want to say that there's any excuse to ever quit on a game. Down 30 to 5, getting your, you know, your, you know what handed to you. Yeah. I I don't see why you, you know, I don't see why every single player would then say, you know, we're going to play our best football right now. Yeah. But they did. And uh, yeah, the Carlton penalty took them down to the one. They scored, they got up 12. Pretty short order before they got another. Exactly. And I think that penalty in particular was a PI. On a on a halfback toss pass where Lions was making the pass himself, and then the PI happened. But um, you know, once again, talking about some plays that we definitely didn't see from Mac earlier in the season. I don't remember ever seeing them do any kind of trickery of that sorts. But you know, in that type of situation, when your back is so far against the wall, you just have to make something happen. You got to pull out all the stops. So you know, whether it's Quinlan or Flaxman. On the offense of, of on the offensive side, obviously pulling out all the stops, and it worked for them. And you know, there's so many different factors and ifs and buts that could have made this a completely different game going into it, and some penalties here and there. But when it was all said and done, Mac was still in a very good position. End of the game, with the score being as it you know ended up being. 30 to 25, down five, on a Hail Mary that just fell inches. Yeah, and they had just taken a penalty the play before on the yeah. offside. And, you know, it was it was a tough penalty. I think it was Michael Basil who took it. But he had also made an incredible play on the previous drive, or sorry, two drives ago on the second of three touchdowns in short order. He had an amazing catch on sort of like a 40-yard bomb from Dewey. Yeah, and even to uh, Tchinsky, um, who the the pass was to, and, you know, it, on those Hail Mary bombs, like, I'm not out here. St- and that, and that, it was a Hail Mary, but it wasn't a what you would sort of – it's not a, not a traditional Hail Mary where everyone's kind of running to the end zone and you're heaving it up, you know, sure. throwing a prayer. Yeah, this, yeah. Was a, this was a deep sort of streaking route. This was sort of a, yeah, fade – or a, a streak, whatever you want to call it, a go. Yeah. And it was just yeah, maybe a foot, a foot away. And it was a windy day, right? So yeah. it, this was a very good pass. Just ugh, yeah. so close. No, yeah. Oh, so close. And you're totally right. I mean, in in, in the moment of the game, it did kind of have that Hail Mary feel to it. Like the yeah. Aaron Rodgers late in the game just chuck it up well, there. That, you know, it's third down, right? <clears throat> exactly. Third, third and ten. Um, but once again, for Tachinsky, another uh, a very good day for him. He had one really nice catch, ended up – with six six yards, um, and, and on four you know, catches. and yeah. you know, and the issue is, is Tommy Neal got injured like first series of the game, yeah, or very early on. I forget exactly when it was, but Tommy Neal is like there's as good as Tuchinsky's been all year, and I'm the you know the entire receiving core has yeah. been just okay. I think good enough. Tuchinsky's been the best of the guys not named Neal. Neal has been incredible, mm-hmm. and there's so much trust between Duick and Neal. You lose Neal, you, you know. 
you're probably losing 100, 120 yards, 130 yards of receiving. That'll be, you know, redistributed. Probably 70% of that ends up getting redistributed because some of that is, is just the Tommy Neal special where nobody else is going to make that play. Yeah. He's proven that in weeks past. So that was a huge loss for them early on. And, uh, yeah, Xander Tuchinski had a very nice day for them. Yeah. Um, but I, I know as it's, it, this game really just came down to Mac not having enough time to, you know, make the comeback happen. But it's just similarly with Waterloo where, yeah, you lost the game. When you take into account all the circumstances with Waterloo, where they've come from in short order to where they are now and with Mac, everything that's happened in the last month, it, it obviously there's still so many question marks surrounding this 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 school, this organization, this football team there, but you're walking like they had to have been walking out of that game with their heads high knowing what they did on that day. I mean just Ab- remarkable. There's no doubt. I mean, like really you can't ask for any more from yeah. them. And they they played their hearts out. So and they ran out of time. They didn't lose. Yeah, exactly, sort of the, the exactly. classic thing you would say. And I would I would have said that's probably true of the Waterloo game as well. Yeah. Um and you can you can always say that. <laughs> but in fact they both ran out of time and lost mm-hmm. is sort of the, the common refrain. But I guess so. um gotta give Mac a lot of credit, obviously. Very tumultuous season. Mm. You know, even without the knock stuff, the the um the sort of the quarterback situation being ironed out in uh, a difficult prolonged fashion, that that's difficult. That's tough to overcome at the beginning of a season. Mm-hmm. You know, by week eight, maybe that's in the rear view. Then you have your coach be fired. It's wild. I yeah. mean, you you cannot have had a rougher season than that. I don't know how you could have a more wild season than yeah. that. And for Carlton, I, I'm I'm happy that they 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 won, given that they came out to this hot hot start. Just because if they blew this game, you know, we mentioned last week some teams that you don't really like betting on in the OUA if you were a betting person. But this is a team that late in the season has given me extraordinary pause towards having just trusting them with things that we've seen them do successfully, in, whether it's in their passing game, uh, defensively, just certain things that... They're a very uh, good but inconsistent team. Yeah, inconsistent. That, that's in, really the inconsistent. word. Inconsistent. So Wild swings in terms of what they're doing. If this season were to end for them with them blowing a, what was it, 25-5 to five point lead at the most, I think? Yeah, that's what it was. I would have just felt so heartbroken for them. I mean, obviously, you, you don't deserve anything in – arguably in this world let alone in the in the game of football but just nothing is owed to you nothing exactly but nothing i still would, it's just knowing how good this team could be and how that would have ended for them so big ups to them for getting the win um and moving forward another big rematch we will have in the other OUA semifinal game with a week 1 rematch with Carlton taking on Western next week this time in London the first matchup was in Ottawa and uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, and Mac, of course, gonna go and figure their stuff out because there's a lot of missing pieces. If you're a Mac fan right now, maybe we talk about this a little more. When we do our our U Sports look around with Can West. You know, Patasic obviously is coaching with UBC. It's a very obvious dots connect. He's gonna be highly sought after after the season is yeah. over for UBC. Which it's doubtful they make a long playoff run. I you know don't think they get past Calgary in the Hardy Cup final, depending on how that shakes out. We'll have a look at the schedule there in a minute. But yeah. uh, Steph Potasic, 
I would not be surprised if they if McMaster goes and makes a big offer to get him back because obviously he is the the sort of well he's he's the coach who's had the most success at McMaster since Greg Marshall before him, you know, and right, yeah, yeah. Steph Steph is obviously an elite coach. Everybody knows it. There's uh no confusion there. So would not be surprised if they're talking to him. Would not be surprised if other teams were looking to court Steph after the season's over. So Yeah. Well, if you're if so, then if if you're Mac or whomever else in the OUA it is is thinking to maybe pick up Steph on the coaching staff, I'm sure you'll be cheering for UBC's playoff run to come to a quick, quick halt. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess that's that's the quick and dirty on on the first round of playoffs in the OUA. Let's move on. All right, looking ahead to next week, the semifinals. Oh boy, it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be huge. It's uh. Well, we have rematches. Yes. Both, you know, it's been several weeks where we saw that that fun round one, round two with Waterloo and Guelph. Mm-hmm. Waterloo, sorry, Western last played Carlton week one of the season, and Guelph played Ottawa, was it week two or three? Two or three. Yeah. Three? I think it, yeah, you're right. I think it was three, yeah. Three. Let's three. go with Let's three. Let's go with three. They had Mac week one. Yeah. And then they had... Did they have the week two bye? No, they didn't have the week two bye. I think it was Ottawa. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter. So, yeah. all the same, these are matchups we haven't seen in a little while. These teams have changed a lot. Oh, they had York week two. Apologies. York, there you go. These teams have changed a lot, right? Ottawa was still in the figuring their stuff out phase with yeah. their quarterbacks earlier in the season. We weren't sure what we were going to get from Ottawa. Back in the stages where we were like, okay, let's watch their defense, their specifically their DBs yeah. ball out, and that's what we'll enjoy before we yeah. realized – Okay, hold up. Oh, the Gigi's are they're, kind they're, of a big deal. They're going to be a good they're team. They're kind of a big deal. Oh, callback. Wow. <laughs> oh. I was oh, afraid boy. you'd do that. Thanks, yeah. Man. So they absolutely became a very well-rounded team in that stretch for, you know, since, since they played Guelph. So this will be really interesting. You know, Guelph has gotten better. Yeah. Ottawa's gotten better. These are two teams that, you know, I, I the old, nobody wants to play this time of year. Well, Western doesn't care, but no, <laughs> nobody else wants to play them this time yeah. of year. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see how they match up. Obviously, we, we've talked about how Ottawa has a pretty solid run defense. Mm. And it starts up front with, you know, Tremaine Stevens and and uh, their linebackers, Abed Hamidi and um, uh, Carrier at Sam. I think he's a really good player in there. And then, obviously, you know, Berenik and Rashawn Davis, uh, they're making plays too. So a pretty good run D. Obviously, the best defensive back group, we think, in the conference. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Harry is. We're still waiting for that signed jersey, Ottawa. Yeah, Ottawa, Barisi. <laughs> Come on, show us some love. Yeah, Jamie Harry is obviously an you know an incredible player. Yeah. Nobody wants to Class throw at him. Zone. Nobody should throw at him. Yeah, and uh, it'll be a bit of a different test for the Guelph receivers than they'd face against Waterloo. But this is also a Guelph receiving unit that has really come together. Um, since then and and if you can remember this this was i think this whether it was week two or week three i'm not remembering i think it was week three but i think this was the first game that kian was back in because he had that one odb he had, style he had, he had oh, sorry, two o- incredible OBJ, not odb uh the obj <laughs> style <laughs> i don't know maybe old Funny dirty maybe old dirty had some good hands i don't know we do not know the Wu Tang Clan Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, he, had, he had two incredible catches game. on the day. He had two catches on the day. Yeah. They were both amazing and and highlight worthy. And uh, 
you know, he's more involved in the offense now because, again, that was his first game back. So we'll yeah. see. It's possible. It's possible guys like him can uh, can overcome some of the coverage. But, you know, it's everywhere, right? It's it's yeah. it's Cody Cranston. It's Luke French. It's uh, Rashad Spooner. It's Luke Reese. It's the whole unit. And, yeah. again, like they have they have good linebackers. So it'll be tough. We'll see. I mean, I would try to run the ball on them, I think, in terms of relative strength. That's what Guelph can do. And, mm. obviously, every single game Guelph is going to try to run the ball on anyone. If you can shut down Guelph's run game, that's a problem yeah. for them, obviously, uh, not for you. And, uh, you know, talking about the run game, you you made mention this when we were talking about their win over Waterloo in, in that this game for J.P. Simonkinda is very much – I don't want to call it an anomaly in the sense that I don't think he could do it again. I think he could have a very, very promising career. But it's just something we hadn't seen. And going back to that Ottawa matchup, this is still when Jamal Hooker was getting the predominant number of carries for them. Uh, looking back on the box score from that one, finishing with 10 attempts, 57 yards on the day. JP not even getting a touch in that one. Maybe he wasn't even dressing. I don't know. I'm not going to go into that much detail. So that's obviously going to be a big factor. But for Ottawa, a guy who was playing in that game, who I haven't got any new info on yet. Obviously, the bye week's huge no, on them. we don't know. But is Bryce Vieira. Will he be this back? This is going to be massive. He's He's such a good player for them, right? I mean... That was a game. I think we saw a little bit of Dawson O'Day that game. Yeah, but it was largely Bryce Vieira. I'm not sure, or maybe uh, that was maybe that was the first. No, you know what? I think that was the first game O'Day had. Yeah, that was that's where O'Day chunk. was the. Yeah, that was his introduction. That's when he really first started to you know show out. Yeah, yeah, and he's obviously a great player. We know that he can carry the bulk of the loads on the ground. He he is he's fantastic. He's yeah. a great running back. And Bryce all, Vieira yeah. is you know again just one of those one of those weapons that if you're without your offense is different and. We'll see if uh, Sawyer Butner and I'm going back to Butner. We're gonna go, oh yeah, playoff Butner. That's it. All right, playoff Butner. It is. Uh, it's Butner's day on. I like it. Oh, I like it a lot. That's bad. That's really bad. Bow, bow. I said it all the same. <laughs> yeah, rim shot. Anyways, bow, bow. so uh, Sawyer Butner, if he can, if he can get the ball deep, and obviously Carter Matheson is the number one receiver on that team, but. Yeah. Leave it to Beaver. Kalen Beaver is, uh, you know, the, their super deep threat. If he can get behind them and be, you know, if they can get dynamic chunk plays, which mm. they got on some defenses, on worse defenses, if they can get those on Guelph, will Guelph be able to play from behind? That's, you know, it's a very interesting point. But, you know, what what's so interesting is that Guelph's game plan against Waterloo, if they can effectively do that against Ottawa, I mean – very similar things. If you can just stop them from being dynamic, they have a great running back. Yeah. Just make them make them be efficient. Yeah, make them. You'll be, be efficient. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, you I probably. Mean, yeah, Ottawa's offense is is not Waterloo's. Waterloo's offense is way more dangerous. Like I expect Ottawa to be efficient. That's mm. how they win games. That's traditionally how they've won games. But when they've won big, thinking of the Panda game, for yeah. instance, it's because they got turnovers. Which, okay, if you throw deep on Ottawa, you're probably going to turn the ball over sometimes. Yeah. And when they got those turnovers, they capitalized, and they had big plays down the field. They stretched the field. Yeah, and like you said, Matheson, Beaver, even St. Pierre, Talio, like a, a variety, and when Vieira is in there, a variety of weapons that, that Butner can, uh, can dish it off to. But, you know, once again, if Guelph can do what they did even somewhat to, to even a lesser degree to Ottawa, what they did to Waterloo, they can be in good shape, yeah. no doubt. And you know, this obviously was, as we mentioned, this was still in a stage where Ottawa as a whole team was still developing, getting their strides. This was a 12 10 final. 
you know, I, 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 I personally, unless a tornado or just terrible weather comes through on this game, I do not expect that to be an outcome again. Both, I, I think this we'll under tornado point. conditions, we do think Guelph is the favorite. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I think you know we've seen Ottawa have. Uh, not the most impressive passing performances that they've ever put on against Western and then Queens in consecutive weeks, wind being a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And if it's a just a decent day, if it's not sort of an ugly day, I mean, I, I do expect Sawyer Butner and uh, the Ottawa passing game to get going. So yeah. I'm very excited for this game. I think the winner of this game um, is going to go to the Yates Cup. <laughs> you know what? I have a, I have a suspicion you, think? you may be correct. I know, I know. Hot takes, hot takes. Uh, well, uh, uh, well, whomever it is that wins I think this game, the winner of this game will get a chance to lose very badly to Western. <laughs> How about that? Okay, well then, riding off that, whomever it is that gets the chance to lose to Western will be doing so in London, where there will be a game at the same time as this one, that being the semifinal matchup of Carlton and Western. And once again, this is another rematch from earlier in the season, the week one game that had all OUA watchers with their eyes wide open as we thought Carlton was going to upset um, Western, the game that turned out to be the 26-23 final in OT. What are you thinking on this one, Eddie? Is it okay if I cackle villainously? Please. <laughs> Can you do the Mr. Burns with your hands while you do that? <laughs> Western is going to kill them, I think, to be honest. I yeah. mean, Western obviously came off the bus. They were slow off the bus. But they came off the bus like at halftime and woke up. Uh, it's a different team. They're playing lights out football. Their defense is playing lights out football. I mean, they shut out Ottawa and by the transitive property, Ottawa killed Carlton. So, you know, no, I, I don't know if they're going to kill them. I, you know, Carlton's just that, they're that team, right? Like Carlton could absolutely, they're probably one of the only teams that has the chance to have an upside kind of day that sees them hang with Western. Yeah. That being said, I don't think it's going to happen. Because Western, their sort of bad day, their worst day, is a day where they still beat Carlton. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was the worst game they played all year. That and the Queens game. You could make a case for either of them. The way Queens was playing at that point in the year, roughly equivalent. Queens was playing their best football. was very inspired. But now, instead of it being a six-hour drive to Carlton, or whatever it is, they now have to come to, to London. Yeah. So. I'm not saying it's gonna, it's not going to be some brutally hostile environment, but they'll probably have bus legs, and their history on that field has not been uh, not been very kind. Nor is it to many teams. Well, that's true. That's true. But maybe worse to Carlton yeah. than anyone else over the last few years. But it's a very interesting point you bring up, and something I hadn't really thought about, on how if you were going to select one champion from the OUA, taking Western out of the occasion to say who at their very best can take down Western, and Maybe you'd think Waterloo is going to be in that conversation just because of how, how high power that offense is. But the combination of, you know, the relative high powered offense that Carlton has and the playmakers they have defensively, just being a more well rounded team yeah. than, than Waterloo is. That's a very interesting take that, like, that they can win individual matchups that other teams yeah. can't win. And then they can, you know, they just have so much upside. Like, we've talked about it before. This is a receiving core that is multiple players deep yeah. with studs, right? I mean, Loki, obviously an all-star. Manchalenko, stud. Soares, stud. Walker, mm. stud. It's just 
everyone is Even good. Carter out of the backfield. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he's obviously a great player. Mitch Raper's a great fullback. Yeah, yeah. Their offensive line very big. It's they're still kind of working guys in, and you know, Casey Baker's kind of been in and out all year. It's not, I'm not really sure if he's going to play or what's going on with him. But in the hometown, you he's would a think boy, right? you would think yeah he is. Yeah. You'd think he'd want to. Um, you just don't know. Like you, I don't know what their offensive line is going to be like. I know Western's going to be – well, I don't know, actually, but I'm assuming they're going to be starting Fry if he's healthy. But if he's not healthy, then you have Hood back at right guard, Brown back at left tackle. So a little bit of upheaval there. Mm-hmm. Not that it's – you know, uh, Zach Fry has been, like, outstanding for Western all year. It is, it is very much worth mentioning. A first-year offensive lineman came in and was good enough that they decided they would move their incumbent right tackle and left tackle – one from left tackle to left guard, sorry, left tackle to right guard, the other from right tackle to left tackle, right. in order to accommodate a first-year tackle at Western. Like, uh, I've never that seen did, that. Yeah. That, like, I, I've said it before. Like, I was a pretty big recruit coming out of high school. I went down to the States for a couple of years. When I came back, I started at Western. If I had gone to Western right out of high school, I probably wouldn't have started until that same time because right. Western is usually that deep. They're not that deep anymore. Like, depth is maybe a tackle more than on the inside, but – Depth is a bit of an issue. I guess it kind of always is for offensive lines. But the fact that a first-year offensive lineman is starting at Western, that is incredibly rare. So mm. he, I think he had he had an injury. I don't know what it was um, in their last game against uh, Laurier. But if he's back, that, that helps. Otherwise, this is a defensive front that does have a chance to get pressure on Merchant and disrupt the offensive game plan, get those – those big chunk plays. We know Kenyon Yaka can come around with a, a big sort of swat sack and, and strip the ball out. So, you know, there is potential here. If Kasser's playing and Walsh is playing, it's mm-hmm. a very formidable front. Can they run the ball on them? I don't know. Can they run the ball? Can they hit them on some of those deep bombs that they like to do? The, the Western the defensive backs have been playing much, much better. In the second half of the year, like, so they started off the year with Carlton. little shaky. Mm. little – Communication wasn't perfect. All oh, right, you have for a lot you time, have yeah. you have three new starters. All right, it's a young group. Correct, as a lot of teams, mm-hmm. a lot of teams have that issue. Last week they sh- or not last week, but two their last game two weeks ago. Yeah, they shut down Curly Giddens Jr. and a high flying Laurier attack. Yeah, so that is a sort of an indicator of progress that tells me that Western's defensive backs are ready for. What is a massive challenge, mm. right? And Aruda's been playing pretty well. Like he played well last game. He really did. He hit the deep balls. Yeah. He made no mistakes in terms of like who he was supposed to be going to. There was one mistake he made. Aruda did in that Mac game that was very frustrating. If you were a Carlton fan, frustrating that the mistake was there to be made. If you were a Mac fan, and that's where they sent a radar blitz, which you know you would call a plus one. So yeah, however many people can possibly be defending. Uh, the defense will send one more guy, and they'll be in uh, man zero coverage, zero man, so nobody behind them, just one-on-one. Well, Mac decided they would send plus two. Oh, good. good. Yeah, which which means they're in zero man with one person uncovered. They do math at Mac. Apparently, but <laughs> not on the football team. So uh, Aruda in that instance, threw to the guy he knew would be open. I think he had one Mac defender trying to cover two. And the thing is, when you send plus two, it's a lot like sending plus one. There's not going to be a lot of time to throw the ball. Yeah. You're going to have to get rid of it very quickly. 
Aruda did, but if he had just held it a second longer and made the determination as to who was truly uncovered, you know, he would have had an uncovered touchdown. So, anyways, yeah, I digress. The point is, Aruda's playing good football. You know, his first year starting at Carlton was it was it was a tough watch. I mean, I'm not going to say it was dreadful, but it was very inconsistent. He is becoming more consistent, and he is the straw that stirs their offensive production. So, if he can play his best game. They, they absolutely have a chance of it being a close game. Yeah. I guess I haven't really made my mind up on whether or not I think Western's going to blow them out or, or it's going to be a close reason. game. Yeah. I don't know. The more I talk, the more I'm starting to see the nuance here, and I don't love it. So, But at the same time, and we're going back when, now to week two, where we saw Western coming off the bye already, where, yeah, they had that little shaky game against Carlton to start the season off, had their bye, come back week three, it was as if they didn't miss a beat from the Vandy Cup team, Vandy Cup winning team the year before. Mm-hmm. So once again, now they're on the bye. Uh, yeah, they play. The they bye. play well off the bye, right? Like it's it's a really great coaching staff all over yeah. the place. Like when when a team goes a no for the second consecutive year, coming off a Vandy Cup championship, when a team is undefeated in, I guess it's like nineteen games now, eighteen. We don't do math here either. No, At nineteen. Sorry, let, let me. Let, I will do the math real quick. Semis, Yates, Mitchell, or uh, Utec, Vanier. So that's four so plus six, well, so 20. So they're undefeated okay. in 20 games. That's pretty good. So when a team's undefeated in 20 <laughs> games, you're not a fanboy if you sing the praises of everybody involved in that. Yeah. That's just realistic. There's a reason nobody else is doing it. There's a reason it's literally impossible for two teams to do it simultaneously. True, true, um, yeah. And, and particularly in a year that we've talked about the depth of, of teams in the OUA, you know, like there, there's been plenty of seasons where Western could have done this and yeah, you, you maybe have three decent contenders. We had, yeah, no, there, there are fewer, there are fewer nice whipping boys. It's more dynamic at the yeah. bottom. And Western was in close games, including the first game against Carlton, including yeah. the Queens game more recently. So absolutely. It's a very impressive feat, but you have to, you have to understand Western's going to be very well coached over the bye week. They will not be relaxing. No. Maybe there's a Halloween party that went on yesterday or the day before. I don't know. I'm not a student anymore. But they party. Okay. They're still going to work hard. Yeah. It's still going to be a very, you know, a very hungry team. Yeah. So they want to make a legacy. They want to create a legacy. This is their chance. And, and uh, I don't think they're going to let that one slip away. No, I, I frankly, I don't either. Um, but, you know, that's why we watch the games and just at the very – at the very least, well, maybe it's saying a lot to say at the very least, but I'm just, I'm hoping for the the latter of your sort of deliberation on this game, whether it's the Western blowout or a Western win, but slightly closer. I'm much, much leaning towards oh, you want You want to see me get heartburned, do you? You want, you want to see me, you want to see me all stressed out? You want to see me get an ulcer from watching football, huh? <clears throat> yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. No, we, now we have that sorted. But those are the OUA semifinals. The winners of these games will be taking, will be, uh, you know, Heading, head, going head to head in the Yates final the following week, and that's all we're gonna tell you for now because that's all we can say about it for now. So, with that being said, let's move on. All right. So Canada West wrapped up this week, and obviously we we sort of we know kind of what we expect from Canada West. We expect Calgary to come out of the conference, uh, claiming the Hardy Cup yet again. It seems like they've been doing it almost every year. Uh, but in this final week, we saw Saskatchewan beat the Tar out of Regina. Regina, obviously, a little demoralized. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it before. They're 
five wins or not five wins rather I think three wins two losses but those three wins stripped for the five games played with an ineligible player and Saskatchewan uh, did not relent obviously point differential man it being a deciding factor in this uh, in this league UBC beat Manitoba very slim margin 38 to 34 and Calgary did unholy things to Alberta 52 to 6 oh boy unsurprising I mean we know what Calgary is. They're a juggernaut. And it sets up the Hardy Cup playoff schedule starting next week uh, on November, uh, yeah, on the 3rd, on Saturday, uh, where the two games will be uh, the four seed Manitoba versus Calgary at Calgary, the one seed, and the third seed Saskatchewan playing at UBC, the second seed. So, uh, I can't really make predictions between UBC and Saskatchewan because for me it's 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 one it's a very close matchup it's unclear who will win uh, but two I just don't watch enough to really have a nuanced approach sure yeah, yeah. to uh, my my analysis so I mean I'll, I will say UBC has the better quarterback we know that Michael O'Connor is fantastic mm. uh, Saskatchewan has had I think a better run game for most of the year both defenses can play UBC. Maybe not as deep on defense. Uh, and then Calgary playing Manitoba, you don't need to have really a whole lot of uh, – Take Calgary. Just, you don't, just you don't, take you Calgary. Don't, you don't have to have a whole bunch of nuance yeah. to, to understand what this game should look like. It should be a beatdown. Obviously, Manitoba can play, uh, but Calgary can play better. So, yeah. And you know, going, going back real quick to uh, the Saskatchewan win over Regina, once again, no Noah Picton in this one. And I guess is that – does that finish off the career for him? I guess would that. Well, it finishes off his uh, his career in new sports. In new sports, yeah. He is one of those rare Canadian quarterback prospects, a la Andrew Buckley, who has a chance of sticking with the CFL team. I I think I mentioned this a few episodes back. Yeah, we definitely talked about it. Yeah, but I was talking to one of the personnel guys on the Riders when I was there. And, oh, cool. And he said. Basically, I, I don't know. I must have missed a little nuance to what he was saying, but he said, yeah, Noah Pickton's better than most NFL quarterbacks I've watched or most NFL prospect quarterbacks I've watched, which is a pretty massive statement. I don't know. I mean, this is a guy who's prob Damn. he's probably watching NFL prospect quarterbacks who aren't going to make the NFL right, the and, ones have that, a, and have a chance sure. to slip. And so, But even still, it's a huge statement. Yeah. Does it surprise me though? Not, not really. I mean, we know Noah Pickton's incredible. Yeah. Right. We've seen it. Like he's, he's a really special player. So, um, you know, pour one out for him and his career. I guess not pour one out. He didn't die. <laughs> but um, the the way the the very unceremonious yeah. finish is is a, is truly unfortunate. So, um, love watching him play always. And uh, who knows? He might be wearing some uh, some Ryder green during training camp next year. Get a chance. A look at it and you know it's it's always a great story when uh u sports quarterbacks get a chance at the pros so yeah hoping for him well we know he looks good in green so hey let's see if he can make it to the next level um you know also i guess that's for ken west um elsewhere in u sports in the rcq had montreal finishing off their season with a nice shutout a 16 nothing win over mcgill Sixteen nothing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, okay. They play good defensive football in the RCQ. And then you had Sherbrooke uh taking out Concordia twenty eight twenty one. 
and I believe that was the last game. So I think Laval finished up their season the week prior. So the RCQ final standings, well, it's Laval Montreal at the top. That's all you need. Oh, to know. you don't say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how's that? What's the playoff picture looking like? So then you would have so Laval Montreal. So it'd be Laval and Sherbrooke, Montreal and McGill, Concordia missing the dance, and. Doesn't matter. Do you want my picks? Oh, I I've been dying to get your picks on the RCQ. Laval Montreal. Move on. Okay. It's so dumb. <laughs> They're just gonna they they just run roughshod over everybody else, and then they they battle each other. Yeah. Now out east, and we don't normally spend much time out east, and we're not gonna spend much time out east on this point either. But there was a pretty surprising outcome, at least. Just kind of looking at it on the surface, I'm sure if you if I dug a little deeper, maybe there's something that would explain this. But Acadia took out St. Mary's to the tune of 31 to two, which if you if that means nothing to you, it should at least mean this that that ends or that blows St. Mary's chance at the perfect season, and that sucks. Like, well, you know what else blows their chance at the perfect season? Going to the U Sports playoffs, having to play Laval. <laughs> Fair enough, but at least within. <laughs> but so, but they're seven and one then. They were yeah, and seven and zero oh going into their final game. So now they're seven and one, and yeah. nobody else is seven and one. No, so they still. So it doesn't affect their playoff seating. It doesn't affect the playoff seating. So it's it, still... they may have sat some players. That yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like just kind of looking on the surface, which is what I'm doing in this instance. The the standings remain the same otherwise. Um, with St. Mary's at the top, and. Um, you know, like I said, save for that possible scenario in which it was St. Mary's resting players, it'll probably be them taking on the winner out of the RCQ. Um, but those are just going to be outcomes that we will see as the weeks progress. And um, yeah, yeah, Lavelle and Montreal are making it to the Vanier Cup. Um, I will absolutely start giving the AUS respect once they. They earn it. Like once they show that they can hang with uh, with any team from the OUA, yeah. Canada West, or the RCQ, and uh, you know, not not to be a mean about it, just like the way that Acadia lost to uh, to Western last year, it's, that that's gonna ring yeah. in my mind for quite a while. So, and and I mean, not that really the games in the previous years before that had ever been or have been all that close for years. So. You know, you just you hope you hope that they can give Laval a game because yeah. it makes it an easier route to the Vanier Cup. Exactly. So moving forward, we mentioned this in the in the intro that we were going to touch on some All Stars in the OUA, and maybe we won't do a full in depth breakdown of the league, but let's at least touch on a few of the names. So, Eddie, why don't you look at let's look at the league as a whole. Who do you got? Like, who are your who would you be your picks? Yeah, so I, I did a little list of just guys who I would think would be in consideration. Some are more obvious than others. Others are um, guys who, who stood out to me, uh, maybe not st- statistically as much. The nuance is really in the guys who have no statistics at all. That's obviously um, obviously going to be a little more difficult to grade for just your average coach who, you know, watches the games, breaks stuff down, but isn't going in-depth on grading yeah. players on other teams. But the final standing order in the regular season was, in this order, Western, Ottawa, Guelph, Carleton, Mac, Waterloo, Laurier, Queens, York, Windsor, U of T. Uh, so you would expect All-Stars to be apportioned in a way that sort of reflects that list. You know, you would yeah. expect Western to get the most and Ottawa to be up there, Guelph, Carleton, Mac, 
in that sort of descending order for All-Stars to be allotted that way. That's typically how it breaks down, especially when you have a dominant 8-0 season as Western did. Mm-hmm. You expect them to lead. So uh, on offense for Western, obviously Chris Merchant, uh, quarterback's a tough position, whether you think Chris Merchant or Trey Ford deserves it. Those will be the two quarterbacks uh, on the first and second team. That's very clear. And uh, they're, they're both very deserving, right? The MVP, the, he's the best player or he's the best offensive player on the best team. Um, Alex Taylor and uh, Cedric Joseph. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that a team could have two running backs in discussion. Typically for these all-star formats, they, they'll give four running backs nominations. So two first team, two second team guys. Alex Taylor and Cedric Joseph are both fantastic. Cedric Joseph has had more workload on the year. I think he leads the country in touchdowns and maybe rushing yards as well. So you'd expect it to be him. Their fullback, Antonio Valvano, obviously a very good fullback. There are a lot of good fullbacks. We'll talk about some more of those. Um, Gregoire Bouchard and Dave Brown both playing guard for the majority of the year. Dave Brown obviously was a tackle last year, playing guard this year. Played at a high level. Gregoire Bouchard as well. Their two tackles, uh, Giffen and Zach Fry. I'm, you know, these are very good players. There are very good tackles in this conference. We'll get to those in a second. And then Harry McMaster, their number one receiver. He's been outstanding all year. Statistically, there are better receivers. But in terms of what he brings to the best offense in the country, mm. it's substantial. You know, you, you'd mentioned how you, you would assume that because of the dominance of this team, you would sort of see the most all-stars coming from them. But we kind of talked about this earlier on where sometimes, at least defensively, that unit just as a whole is so strong that sometimes you don't get – just standout performances by any one player. So I wonder if that could come back to bite them. You, you know what might? I think teams will know, coaches will know who they had to right. game plan for, right? That's I a mean, good point. It, coaches, coaches will know, roughly speaking, who that who was most standing out on the film. So Andrew Thurston for Western, you know, he finished second in the league in sacks. That's an easy one uh, for teams. Jimmy Hawley and, and Mitch Stadnick, the two sort of defensive tackles, Stadnick being – more of a hybrid guy could play anywhere, sort of on the defensive line guy. Those are both guys who, you know, opposing offenses know what they bring to the party. They're very mm-hmm. good players. Uh, Frazier Sopic, you know, he statistically, he was playing Sam this year, which is different from last year where he played Will mostly. Statistically, this is one of those guys. He, he'll appear way down on the list in terms of defensive stats, but absolutely no one is going to forget about him. Like, he should be... I, I think he's the best defensive player in the conference. It's really between him and Jamie Harry and maybe Luke Coral uh, would be maybe my third guy there. And they're all – and Kenny, Kenny Onyeka, but he's in a bit of a separate voting category right. for outstanding player because he's a defensive lineman. Those those guys are all fantastic. Frazier has very, very you know little by way of stats comparatively, but you watch him play. He is an absolute monster, and he's a brilliant player. And, again, it's the – the best defenses are on the field least, typically. So True. there are yeah, fewer yeah. stats to go around. And he shares that linebacking core duty with Phil Dion and Michael Moore, who are also both kind of in the discussion. I mean, I you know, I wouldn't be upset if the linebackers for the All-Stars were exclusively Western, Guelph, and Carlton linebackers. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. So that I, makes sense. You know, I could see, I could see, hmm, well, last year, Curtis Gray was an all-star linebacker for Waterloo. He had a ton of tackles. 
I could see if you wanted to throw him in there for, you know, the sake of him being maybe the best defensive player on that team or Michael Reed. They were both very good. But the truth is they were all good linebackers. No mm-hmm. one of them stood out over and above. These linebackers, I think, are better. I mean, Michael Moore is a fifth-year guy, transferred from Queens. He's – in any other linebacking core, he's easily the best guy. Right. I mean, outside of – Those other teams he met. Carlton and Guelph, yeah. he's easily the best guy. And in those, he's – pretty equivalent to those other guys so one of those, one of those players that could absolutely get forgotten about and then the western dbs uh bleska kambamba he was playing uh, boundary corner outstanding outstanding i mean it's going to be tough at defensive back but bleska is absolutely in there because obviously one of those corner spots they'll give they'll give t- like sort of a generic two corners two halves one safety spot they won't say they won't distinguish between boundary and field corner mm-hmm. uh in the in the oua all-star rankings so Bleska should be in there. Jamie Harry, obviously, is the other corner. Very obvious pick uh, for, for Ottawa. Pick. Uh. Danny Valente at safety. If you watch the film, he's a brilliant, brilliant safety, right? He's a ball hawk. He's making plays all over the field. Uh, and then, you know, the rest of the defensive backs for Western played really well. Mackenzie Ferguson's a fifth-year guy. Very effective. Had some nice long pick returns on the year. Um that's a bit of a throwaway. I mean, he's a, he's a good player. I don't know if he'll get it because he's just not as high profile as some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of those classic players that he needs to be mentioned because he's played very, very well. He's a fifth-year guy, and it's a Western defensive group that had a shutout against Ottawa. So I'm going to mention a lot of Western guys. <clears throat> then for Ottawa's All-Stars, Carter Matheson's an easy one. Mm. I'm not saying he's a guaranteed, but he's an obvious person you're going to have. Receiver's one of those positions nominated like DN we talked about where there's going to be a lot of clutter. Receiver's tough. Receiver's yeah. a tough position. If he's a second-team all-star, he is the first guy on the second team. You know what yeah. I mean? He's yeah, a great yeah. player. Uh, Dawson O'Day, running back, is tough again in this yeah. conference. He's played very well all year. We know he's a great player. There are two tackles, Zachary Paleos and Thomas Rollins. Paleos being a first-year guy, too. Um very, very impressive year from him. I don't think he'll get it, but he's someone who we have to sort of talk about. He could be in the rookie of the year discussion, in my opinion. Interesting. It's very rare that they go to offensive linemen because that is an award that often gets chalked up to stats. But between him and Zach Fry, I think it's the best two rookie offensive linemen mm. I've seen in quite a while in this conference. And or said, rookie tackles. And you mentioned Thomas Rollins' name, another guy that I, I forget if we touched on in terms of looking ahead to Guelph, Ottawa, another guy we saw go down in Ottawa's last game, a testament to him as an all-star caliber player, huge loss for them if they don't have him in that OUA semi game. Yeah, very big loss. And uh, Bryce Vieira, another guy who's injured and has been injured all year, would be in the discussion uh, if he was not injured for part of the year. But injuries kind of throw off um, all-star voting. Yeah. Because if teams haven't seen players, then they haven't game planned for players. And also the way that they kind of rejigged how they were using him in the offense by just turning, giving the keys of the run game to O'Day and trying to use Vieira in other scenarios. That probably would have taken away. Like, if he was just at RB all year long, I mean, once again, still the injuries play a factor. His production, it was it was definitely a, it was a strange year for Vieira for many reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And then on defense for Ottawa, Jamie Harry is a big one. Yeah, that's that's easy. That's uh, uh, first team obvious guy and potentially defensive player of the year. Uh, Rashad Spooner, I was really impressed with him. Could happen. Could be one of those guys who's playing half. Uh, 
Fraser Sopic should get first team Sam because he was playing Sam for most of the year. Sam being, you know, you have the Mike and the Will linebacker. That's the middle and the weak side linebacker. And then the Sam linebacker or the strong side linebacker, he's a little bit out of the box. This is for people who, are, you know, aren't defensive players yeah. or, or currently playing. Anyways, so the Sam linebacker is kind of a, you know, a bit of a mix Hybrid between a defensive of, yeah. back and a, and a linebacker. And Carrier on Ottawa I found very impressive. Fraser Sopic is playing Sam. He's really more of a Mike Will, but he's playing Sam. Anyways, those would be the two guys I would most expect for Sam. Uh, and then, you know, the, really the rest of the Ottawa defensive backs could be second-team All-Stars. I mean, Luke Reese is, is very good. Obviously, yeah, we know the that. Baller. And uh, C- Cody Cranston. And Luke French. I mean, they're all yeah. they're all sort of they're sort of in the mix. I, I'm not nuanced enough to really tell you who's the best of those guys. I know they're all great. Yeah. Um, because they're all so good, it's hard to know who is really the best amongst them. Uh, moving to Guelph. <laughs> that offensive line. You Most of their there, offensive line. Stark Zala, he's sort of a lock to me to be a first-team yeah. tackle. Um, Woodmansey, I think, is very much in the discussion as a second-team guard. I don't know if he can beat out the first-team guys. Maybe. I mean, he has a very bright future. He's played a lot better this year than he did last year, in my opinion, based on just him losing weight. He looks great. Hmm. Um, Colin Jerome is one of the two centers, I think, who will be on the list. I think that's easy. And uh, Andy McFalls didn't play quite enough of the season. Otherwise, I'd put him in there, too. What will be interesting to see with McFalls as well is I forget. I know he was injured for a lot of his the year last year, which was his rookie year. I don't know how they work in, like, well, if he didn't play in however many games, if he still could be a uh, – No, he no, couldn't, he, be, a he couldn't no, be a rookie. No, okay, no, I wasn't no. sure about that. No, no, no. Just first-year guys. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Lucas Brennan's a, you know, a fullback who I've really liked watching. I think I think the fullbacks are pretty clear in this conference. I think it's Vili Mizar and Raper who are at one and two. Right, Vili yeah. Mizar being on uh, Laurier and Raper being on Carlton. Carlton yeah. They're both outstanding. I mean, and, and, and Antonio Valvano is great too. Kalinich is really, really good. But those two, in my opinion, are the two most vital to their offenses. Yeah. Um, and Kean Schaefer, uh, he's not going to be in it because he's been injured. He missed yeah. too much time, and his stats aren't that good. But he is, like, he's obviously an amazing pro prospect, so he could get it next year. Um, on defense, Reinhardt and Coral are, I mean, Coral's a lock for one first team or second team. Yeah. It all kind of depends on your preference. He's outstanding. You know, if he doesn't get first team, he deserves it. The other person who gets it would deserve it too. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. Very, very good player. Love watching him play. Reinhardt's been very effective, and he's had, what, two pick sixes this year? Yeah, so, out of nowhere, you know. So that, that's that's a pretty cool stat, but he's yeah. been very good. And then, you know, I could, I could consider a lot of players on Guelph, um, but I don't know if Corfield, any of them. Corfield, maybe. Yeah, I see. I love him. I'm just – he's not a dynamic pass rusher, right? If I wanted yeah. just one pure one-tech nose tackle, you know, it's like him and Trayvon James. But Trayvon James is a little more dynamic as a pass rusher, just a mm-hmm. little. And then there are guys, you know, like Cam Lawson's going to be a guaranteed yeah. guy. Anyways, we'll get to them in a second. And Tevin Bowen as well, yeah. Corfield's a guy I really love. Love watching him play. I just don't know if he's quite there. Elaine? You know, towards the end of the year – he wasn't even starting, right? He was just mm. playing in a pass rushing role, and he's a dynamic pass rusher. If you asked me at the beginning of the year, I'd said guaranteed, but yeah. now not as much. Yeah, um, he's a very good player, but gadget players, you know, one down, two down, well, one down players don't get included really. What I'm willing to bet for this Guelph team is a, a you know, obviously McFall's out of the conversation, but I'm willing to bet quite a few rookie OUA guys because I mean they had a lot of CJ guys, but. 
still first year in the OUA, and of course the production of a guy like Tavius Robinson, outstanding. And- Tav- Tavius Robinson has been incredible. He is an yeah. uh, you know he probably does get rookie of the year. Now that I really think about it, yeah, eh? he's he's pretty damn good, and yeah. he's pretty good as a true first year guy and. Yeah, it's terrifying to think he's, where he's, he's going to be. He's going to be a nightmare for quarterbacks for the next four or five years, or three, four years, or whatever. Yeah, in the OUA, absolutely, no doubt he is. Um, and then on on Carlton, you have uh, Nathan Carter, obviously is yeah. is in there. Phil Loki, uh, Quinton Soares, Mitch Raper, Nolan McGreer, and you know I like Daniel Omara. He's one of their guards. Um, I don't know if he's he's not quite in that discussion. McGreer was a an All Star last year. I have different tackle all-stars like I, I think McGreer to me is a second teamer not because he's bad he's good he is good but I just have other guys who I like a little bit more including Eric Starkzala uh for Guelph on defense for Carlton yeah this is this is where it gets tough um just take the whole box <laughs> on Yeka Robitaille Bowen Kasser Walsh so there you go five guys from their front uh six I think are, are very much in the discussion on is a lock Kasser's a, a lock and then Robitaille, Bowen Walsh, all could be, depends. I, I liked him a lot. Their defensive backs, I forget what their boundary corner's name is, but he's in the consideration for me too. Okay. Um, you know, I, I liked Cole Hepburn at Sam for them. I don't know if he's quite in that discussion yet. Uh, and then they had Trevor Hoyt at Sam at other times, and he was really good too. Hoyt had so some big games. This Hoyt game. had some really good games. Yeah. Hoyt was outstanding. I don't know, though, if he's – like. I don't know if I saw him enough, so mm. that that could just be on me. Um, you know, Guillaume Caron was someone I was going to be really interested in their free safety, but he was injured pretty early in the year, and I don't know if I've seen him since. Like maybe game two or three. Yeah, it definitely feels like a while since I've heard. He's he a up. really good player. You know, he played Sam for them in previous years. Like one of those guys who just—he's clearly an important veteran for their D. Yeah. Um, man, not to not to stick on this too much because I know we'll talk about this more later, but. Oh man, when you look at Carlton's team, there's so many ballers, but so many guys that could be leaving if not this year or the year after with graduation. Oh man, yeah, it's it's a problem. It's it's yeah, they 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 they're holding on some guys, but anyways, I don't want to get stuck on that point. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll get to that in the post mortem. Uh, yeah. McMaster, uh, Tommy Neald, uh, Jordan Lyons, and uh, Jacob Zott are the guys who come to mind. Jacob Zott, the right guard. I don't know if he's quite there, but he's close, and. Um, Neil and Lions, running backs really, really loaded, right? I mean, yeah. running backs hard. Um, Neil missed a, maybe a game and a half or two, so not 100% sure. If he'll get it, obviously very deserving. Uh, maybe a second-team guy. Laurier, very easy. Curly Giddens. Sorry, I missed their defensive players. Uh, not a ton. couple defensive backs. Noah Hallett and Nolan Putt are the two guys who most stood out to me in their defensive back group that I thought was very good. I think they're both... I think they're both all-star caliber players. Um, Nate Edwards, I don't think he's quite there, but he was really good for them. Nate Edwards was playing mostly Will linebacker this year. I think he's playing Mike and Will, depending on um, the health of other guys. So really impressed with him. Thought he thought he played very, very good football. Don't know if he's quite. I mean, because, like, again, the linebackers for this conference, to me, are three teams. Um, on Waterloo, Trey Ford, very obvious, very easy. Probably the MVP of the conference. His numbers are astronomical out of this world. It's him or Chris Merchant, if you believe that it should be the best quarterback. If you want to go with absolute best player in the conference, then it would be their next guy I have on this list, Tyler Ternowski. 
I mean, he's a record breaker. What do you want yeah. to say? He's, he's just incredible. Uh, Gordon Lamb, probably a second-team receiver. I mean, just because they don't typically give two first-team receivers out to anyone. Yeah, yeah. He's elite. He's special. Uh, Jesse Gibbons, one of the tackles. Got it. Their be. left tackle. Yeah. He's 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 um, he's going to be a first, second-round pick. Yeah. So, now, I spend a lot – like, when I'm watching Waterloo, I'm watching him. I mean, that's, that's a lie. I'm watching – I'm watching him, and I'm watching, you know, their left side of their offensive line a lot, and then I'm watching, you know, Ford and Ternowski. I've noticed Gibbons does he has a he has busts that are apparent to me watching the film. Mm. Now every offensive lineman does. Those notwithstanding, in terms of physical ability, he's got to be the best, you know, tackled on this list in the conference. I mean, him and Sarkzala are very special. Like. They'll both be first, second round picks, or should be, maybe early third. Well, Pellerin doesn't end up doing what he did in a couple of these games without a good offensive line, and you know Gibbons anchors it down for them for sure. And Benny Koswara on that on that subject, their left guard, and Kyle Bomier, their center, are also very much in the discussion. You know, I, I think the two centers will be Jerome and Bomier. Koswara is one of those guys. Like I really like him. I also really like a bunch of other guards. So it's one of those positions that's yeah. a little deeper. You know, center's not quite as deep. Like, these are really the only two centers I've considered, um, Beaumier and Jerome being the two. Guard, guard is probably naturally six or seven deep. Tackle, maybe five deep. Um, you know, where where is the natural cutoff? Sure, yeah. yeah. On defense, uh, you know, Gray and Reed are two linebackers I really like watching. Michael Reed, probably one of the more underrated players in the conference. Very, very good linebacker. Again, I don't think either of these guys deserve it over the guys they'd be replacing, but I could see, you know, if it's not Carrier, who's the second-team Sam, then it probably will be Gray. And, uh, and then Tyrell Ford is, is an interesting one for the corner discussion. He's elite. Like, he is really good. You can't let the rest of – you can't let the overall performance of their defensive backfield, which has not been great, obviously, you can't let that dissuade you from his individual skill. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Um, moving on to Laurier, Curly Giddens, easy, first-teamer. Yeah. Um, Mario Villamizar, one of the two fullbacks, for sure. Brenton Hall, not his best year, but, like, you can still tell he's clearly an elite receiver. On their offensive line, because their offensive line never gets the credit it deserves, <laughs> uh, Drew uh, Merleitner and uh, Bryce Bell, they're, they're two very good players. Got way better towards. I mean, not way better towards the end of the year because they weren't bad at the beginning of the year, but they were. They were good at the beginning of the year. They were very good at the end of the year. They will be con- continue to get better. Bryce Bell is a younger guy. I don't think he makes it, but he's worth mentioning. And Drew is just on the cusp. Again, guard is deeper. We've talked about that. Uh, and then Lavondre Gordon, of course, obviously, yeah. he's great. Say no more. Say no more. On defense, Robbie Smith, Trayvon James, Sam Achapong, Scott Hutter. And Malcolm Thompson, uh, Hutter and Thompson, they're locks. Robbie Smith is a lock for one of those four spots. Obviously, defensive end is really hard. Yeah. And Trayvon James is, I don't know if he's a lock lock. He was a first-teamer last year, but he's abs- like he's he's basically a lock. He, he, he's would, really good. Is, is your like hesitation on him similar with the core field where – He's such a true kind of one tech in the run stopping game, but maybe doesn't bring as much in the pass rush. Yeah, that would that would probably be it. I mean, if you like, if you side by side him with Sam Achampong, 
Ajahn Pong was like a dynamic terror of a pass rusher. Yeah. And Trayvon James is an immovable, you know, stump. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> It's hard saying it like that, isn't it? But no, he's like he's an amazing player. Like I love, I love his game. Yeah. His game is just not pass rushing. So that's uh, that's Sam Achenpong's game. So one of those two guys, probably Trayvon James, because he did it last year. Yeah. That's the easy way to go. Um, moving on to Queens, Nate Hobbs would probably be the first quarterback to miss the cut. He obviously played great football this year for them. Mateo Del Brago, six touchdown passes. Played every game for them. I'd love played to see him really get well. Those positions. I agree. I think positions. I think he deserves to be a second teamer. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have said Chris Elsie-Cousy. He just he missed time. He did. You know, he had one touchdown all year. Like he's obviously an amazing pro prospect. No one's missing that. He's a yeah. great player. This just based on what he did this year, he's not an all star. The offense as a whole at times just didn't get their rhythm together. They started clicking towards the end, but between that and him being injured, definitely created a bad season for him. Yeah, a defense for Queens very easy. Cam Lawson, yeah. first team all star, guaranteed stud, killing it. Every offensive lineman I've talked to said he's he's been the most difficult guy to deal with. Uh, he can do anything to you. you know, he can stuff the run. He can pass rush. He's he's a he's a problem. Mm. That's really it for Queens. Is D. There are some uh, Federico, one of their defensive ends, is a definite all rookie team kind of guy. Uh, but otherwise, you know, they got good play from their defense, but they didn't get all star play from right, anyone yeah. else. Right? They they got very solid play across the board. Which in a year where they were doing dealing with a lot of turnover, as good as they could have exactly. hoped for, there's no question. Yeah, on York, Colton Hunchak, easy first teamer. I'll say no more there. Nikola Kalinic, possibly he's a fullback. So if it's not one of those two guys I mentioned between Raper and Villamizar, you know, then it's Valvano and Kalinic are the next sort of couple guys. Both very good, very competent. Kalinic is a great pro prospect. People wax poetic about him. Not as certain if he's as good a fullback right now as those other two guys. They've got a center. I forget his name. He's a fifth-year guy. Um, he's not bad. He would probably be my third guy, but I'm pretty confident in those two centers. Moving on to their D, Rossini, Sanjong, Jabom. Absolutely guaranteed. Has to be one of the first two teams. It's so hard, right? Like, you got Robbie Smith and Kenny Onyeka, Andrew Thurston and Rossini. I would say all those guys should be locks. They really should all be first-team All-Stars. That's how good they've been. Mm. Robbie didn't have maybe his best year, but you know how good he is. Like, he's an amazing pro prospect. And then you have, you know, the only the only player at U of T who I would pound the table for is Malcolm Campbell. Yeah. And if I were talking about the rest of them, I would say, okay, Makai Henry, very good. Don't know if he's quite good enough. Diodati and Corby on offense, good receivers, lost in the shuffle because their offense was bad. On Windsor, there's really only one guy I, I'm going to pound the table for, and I'm going to pound the table pretty hard, is Drew Desjardins. He might be the best guard in the conference. Mm. Um, you know, because you have Brown, who's converted tackle, and you have Bouchard, who's really good, and then you have Koswara, who's, you know, good. But Desjardins on a bad team, Drew Desjardins is a stud. Yeah. He is really good. So, absolutely hats off to him. Um, they, did, they got good production from the rest of their offense, like their receivers. Don't know who among the receivers I would take over the receivers we've laid out so far, but and of course just Sam Gerard just being the life force of that offense. I could see Sam Gerard being an All Star in future years. Obviously, yeah. he's not quite there yet. Yeah, but he would. Hmm, would he be my fourth quarterback? Probably. Fourth, eh? Yeah. Fourth after Hobbs. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Buner didn't play all year. 
Uh, Aruda maybe in that discussion he's been up and down. Yeah, I mean, I think he's better than Brett Hunchak, marginally. And Brett Hunchak played decent all year. Better than anyone at U of T. Better than Laurier's situation. Laurier's situation got messy. That definitely got So, yeah, no, I, that, 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 anyways, that, that wraps it up for my sort of, oh, and, and Matt Gare on defense is, a, you know, he played ball for him for a while. He's been yeah. a good player for a while. I don't think he'll make it, but he's someone to talk about. That's sort of the broad list. Uh, we will try to pare it down a little bit for you next week. Yeah. Uh, and make really hard predictions. But that's the list that I'm looking at thinking, okay, it'll be these guys. Those are guys who just balled out all year. No they doubt. absolutely did. And you know what? Yeah, we'll try and you know break it down a little more, get a little more specific. But this ain't the OUA All-Stars. We're just talking about dudes who had crazy good years. So here at the 55, it's like Oprah. You can get an All-Star, and you can get an All-Star, and you can get an All-Star, and I think that's a great list. Yeah, and a special shout-out to like the rest of the Western players who I didn't mention. <laughs> because in reality, How about you guys the water, are 20-0. The, the water boy good there? Yeah, he must be good, too. The best yeah, you've the, ever fucking seen. The training facility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, no, incredible. Everything's great. Nothing's Everything's bad. Great. Everybody else sucks. Always sunny in Western. Yeah. And uh, we hope it will be sunny and western in London come Saturday when Carlton goes to visit for the first of the two. Or I guess I haven't checked the times, but I'm not going to cross my fingers even hoping that there are different times. But the first of the two OUA semifinal games we have, it's Carlton, it's Western, it's Ottawa, it's Guelph. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. The U Sports playoffs across the board are going to be in effect. You better be booking off time, sitting on your couch, and tuning into all these games because it's going to be fantastic. You know we'll be watching, and you know we'll be here next week with you at the 55.